Good afternoon, everyone. This is another episode of the Off Topical Podcast. My name is Gardner. And I'm Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about a couple really uh, interesting stories. Uh, what do we got today, Ryan? So the first thing is a, a piece that was on Gaming on Linux, looking at the top 100 Steam games and how many currently work on Linux and are expected to work on the Steam Deck. Uh, the next one is uh, YubiKey now has a uh, it's YubiKey Bio series, which uh, allows for uh, fingerprint authentication. And then uh, finally, we're going to talk smart home, uh, specifically like pieces of software and hardware that allow you to have root to your smart home. Sweet, I'm I'm stoked. Let's get into it. So the first thing on on the story, uh, so the first story we have today is uh, the gaming on Linux top 100 Steam games. How many will work on Linux? Um, this is pretty interesting. Um, I, I don't know if you saw this either. I, I just remembered this actually. Um, there's actually a Verge article uh, by Sean Hollister where he like reached out to some of the top Steam games and asked if they would be supporting the deck. Um, you know I what? I did see that. Yeah. What, what, I don't remember what the outcome there. How many of them said, "Hey, we're going to do that"? Do you do you remember? Uh, it's a it's what? like a solid thirty percent. I think said that they would, and then most of the rest of them were no comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, um, yeah, and this this gaming on Linux well, article actually has. Uh, they broke it down by uh, ProtonDB ranking. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And frankly, there's there's uh, there are some games there that without them on the Steam Deck, I think that would really uh, hurt people's experience coming into to using the Steam Deck. But yeah. my expectation is that a lot of these that aren't there right now are gonna are gonna end up working just fine by the time by the time steam deck hits the market oh no doubt what do you think about that yeah i mean there are a few games here where i'm kind of hesitant to say that they will work like uh at launch like apex legends i have heard um that they uh, respawn is not interested in supporting the steam deck which kind of boggles the mind um and actually if you cross-reference this gaming on linux list with the verge article um apex legends said we're checking with respawn with the respawn team on this and we'll get back to you as soon as we have an update so that was on september 28th um so there's a couple games on here that i don't think are going to work at launch but i think within a couple of months most of them will you know what's kind of brilliant about this, though, is um, you and I think about this in terms of, oh, every game's got to be there, or at least, I don't know, this is the trap I get into thinking like, oh, every game's got to be there for everybody to be happy. But if you look at the competitor in this space, which is the Switch, yeah, there are a ton of games that the Steam Deck already has that the Switch doesn't have and has no chance of getting. 
So as a portable gaming device, it's already in a league of its own just going off of this list. The article says that of the top 100 games, uh, I think it says at the end, like 75 of those work. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, the takeaway here is that when blending together native Linux builds, that those that will run with the official Valve Proton and Proton Glorious Egg Roll, or GE, uh, you can currently expect approximately 75%. So the the stipulation of Proton GE, though, like how many people actually know how to install their own Proton build? You know? Yeah. Like, but I think that I think Steam is going to make that a priority, especially with the like, especially in regards to this list, because yeah, uh, already it says you know Valve is I don't know what his source is here, but Valve he says Valve is working on getting the, all, them all, which I assume is this top one hundred list working out of a out of the box with official Proton. So yeah, yeah. I mean I think that a lot of these games will work um within a couple months of the deck being launched uh because dude like i i don't remember where it was i read somewhere that like the steam deck was like one of the top sellers like uh steam deck sales i don't remember where i saw it but like this during the um during its like opening like launch or pre-order window when that opened the uh the deck had like the, some of the highest sales numbers of any thing that was being sold on steam um like they tracked it through steam db or something i could be wrong about that i don't remember but um and i obviously can't find it off the top of my head here either but uh it's quite fascinating like i think that the steam deck is going to be huge um uh, all of the pundits, all of the tech pundits, all of the, you know, a lot of the game developers know that this is like a big deal. And, uh, yeah, it's to the fact it's to the point where like, um, Linus tech tips, you know, Linus Sebastian himself is like moving over to Linux as his daily driver, as part of a competition with, uh, Luke Lafreniere. That's yeah. pretty incredible. I saw that. That's crazy. Then the fact that someone can do that and feel comfortable that, you know, <laughs> you're going to actually be able to play your games. Yeah. Uh, that's just insane to me how far well, he's how not, far we've come. And, and he's not just playing his games. He's daily driving it now, which he said he's never done. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm very stoked. I think the future of Linux is super duper bright. Um, I, you know, and, and I'm looking at this list like New World. That's got like the highest uh, peak. That's the Amazon one, right? New World. Yep, that's the Amazon one. So that's broken. Yeah, and I don't think that that's going to support. That's not going to be supported on the deck for a little while. Um, but then you have like big Valve games, like two of their biggest multiplayer games. You get Counter Strike Global Offensive and Dota Two, and they're both like, you know, Counter Strike. Uh, CSGO has three quarters of a million players uh, in a 24-hour period, and Dota has 
half a million. And those both have native Linux ports. Um, you have PUBG Battlegrounds, which is like saying uh, ATM machine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, PUBG says that they're not, they don't have any comments. Um, so they're not going to be supporting, at least yet. They don't. They haven't mentioned that they're going to. Um, Apex Legends as well. Um, those and then Nick, I don't even know what Naraka Blade Point is. Um, but yeah, those three games don't, don't aren't supported, and they're like the next. Uh, they're the next three on that list. But then you have GTA Five, Team Fortress Two, Destiny Two. And Destiny 2 is the next one that's broken. But I, I'm i going to guess that Destiny 2 will be supported. That's just my hunch. Um, yeah. I think, I think Bungie's going to have that flip. Like, Bungie's going to flip and support it. Because they already have a native Linux build for um, Destiny 2 for Stadia. Right? Yep. Yep. Why not release it for the deck? I agree. And I think, honestly, some of these other ones will will fall in line pretty quickly just because of pressure when you have a... I mean, we think that it's at least a million pre-orders. I would guess that there could be more than that now, given, you know, how long since we heard that it's been. So I think pressure from gamers will bring some of these people who we who might not seem like they'd come over anyway, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. this is a good enough opportunity now. Let's just do it. Right. Um, well, depending on, depending on how Valve counts uh, the Steam Deck in the Steam hardware survey, I suspect that like, yeah. um, Linux representation on there with the Steam Deck, like if that's counted alongside Linux, then I think we're going to get to like 2 or 3%. Um, by the middle of next year on the Steam hardware server. Yeah. Could be more than that even, but um, but that would mean that we would have, they, they would have sold like two and a half or three million units to, to like increase to that point. So. I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be insane. Yeah. I'm, I know I keep saying that, but like the more I've spoken to people the who don't give a crap about Linux, <laughs> Yeah. And they don't, they're just gamers. Their conversations are still excitedly discussed. They're still excitedly discussing this device. They're not mm-hmm. using any of the words I would use. <laughs> they're not using any of the things <laughs> I, they're not talking about any of the things that I care about, really. But they're, they're still super stoked for it. And of course, to them, it's like, why would I get a Switch when I can bring my whole Steam library or most of my Steam library to that form factor? It's yeah. just a no-brainer for for you know gamers who are who love who are hard. I won't want to call them hardcore gamers, but you know hardcore and even casual gamers who use Steam. I think this is an appealing device. Yeah, and, and you know what too? It's like there's. I think that this is part part of a broader strategy by Valve. Like if you've seen anything. Uh, about like what Valve is doing for their own standalone um, VR headset. I don't, have you seen anything about that? No, no. I was. <laughs> I'm curious about that. Oh, dude. So they're basically going to be competing with the Oculus Quest, right? 
and I've seen wow. I've seen a lot of stuff about it where they have their own headset, but they're also allowing ARM builds of games to be published on Steam, or like they're laying the groundwork to make that a thing that's possible. Um, and they're going to be all of these games are going to be running on SteamOS for ARM. Um, wow! So like SteamOS being a thing is. Uh, is a huge deal. Like the reason that that uh, Easy Anichi and stuff are supporting SteamOS is because this is a this is the first uh, this is the first like push from Valve, and this is going to be like a major thing going forward. I like I don't think I can like dude. Epic is Valve's chief competitor in the PC space and Epic is supporting steam OS. I mean, yeah. I don't think that it could be more plainly laid out there how important both of these companies see steam OS being because this valve is moving forward and they're going to try and compete with the Oculus quest. And this is a huge deal. Yeah, I agree. And frankly, it just makes sense. The more I think about it, the more I think like if you're steam, you don't want to compete against Windows on their own platform. No. We've seen how that works out, and uh, Windows continues to make a big push in their store and trying to bring it in line with, you know, <laughs> make something that appeals to to gamers. And, uh, and if you look at what they've done to in the browser space, uh, you just... You just, there's not a high level of trust that they're not going to one day decide, hey, uh, we now have something we think is superior to Steam. Uh, it's And then making it harder to... Yeah, and then making it harder for Steam to, to fight on equal footing. You know, that's, that's something that can happen yeah. on that platform. So I think they're right when... You know, some people are really some of my friends are really confused about why, why SteamOS? Why, like, are they making this big push here? But if you're Valve, you're probably looking at the landscape and saying Windows and Microsoft strategy around uh, hopping into a market and then making it harder for people to compete on their platform in that market, like, that that makes an existential threat. And so... This is a way to hedge against that. And ultimately, I think a lot of gamers will. 10 years from now, I'll be super curious to see if there are a bunch of gamers who are are building PCs or that that are running, you know, SteamOS versus Windows um, just because it's more optimized for their use case and they can still do other things on the platform. But I don't know. I'm yeah. just dreaming of a bright future. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that like the Steam Deck is the the critical mass that we need to see wide adoption. Nobody likes Windows. Like I I don't know a single person who actually likes using Windows, right? They just don't know that there's other options. And there aren't like options on the market to be sold, you know? Like you can get a System 76 machine, you can get a Purism machine, you can get a uh, you know, tuxedo computer or whatever they're called. You can get any of those, but like you have to, they're boutique manufacturers. They, you know, 
you can't you can't go to like Walmart and buy a Linux machine. You can get a a, a Chrome OS desk, uh, laptop, but that's like hardly Linux. Um, but I mean, the fact that even people are going and buying Chromebooks, you know, says something. Like they yeah. don't want to be using Windows, and so the fact that Valve has this game console on the market, it's going to be, you know, you can play your entire Steam library on it. Or the vast majority of titles, it's going to be huge. Anyway, yeah, I was just thinking about what you said about uh, nobody loves using Windows. Apparently, people do, as we, as you pointed out to me the other, the other day, though. Because there's a, I for, I had forgotten that there's like WindowsCentral.com, and <laughs> oh yeah, like, right. I can't imagine, I can't imagine waking up every day and being like, oh man, I've got to talk about. <laughs> I've got to talk about Windows, like specifically, like yeah, and is... and generate content around that. But you know what? Uh, your days are numbered, Windows. You're going down. Yeah, Windows is going down. I, I think Windows 11 is going to be like <laughs> Windows ME. Like, just people are going to hate uh, it. Windows. I've, I've I've saved a like the early review video or whatever. I'm not review, but preview video and. Uh, I have to, I have to watch that. And as you know, I, I, I really limit my, my windows, uh, <laughs> content intake. And, but I, I've had this queued for like a week and a half. So it's time, it's probably time this next week to see what's coming in, in windows 11. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's going to have a uh, built in game pass support. That's my, that's my prediction. Yeah. It, I think you're going to see the continue to see the the gap between Xbox and Windows close. Yeah, from the Windows side at least, maybe from the Xbox side too. Yeah. Ugh. Um. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of that, did you see the you saw the Chrome um, the Microsoft Edge Chromium edition is like on the Xbox now? Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah, so I did see that. They're 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 closing down. You can't you can't put extensions on it either. There's no extensions for <laughs> the Xbox version. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. That's interesting. Anyway, now now we're getting off topical here. Um, <laughs> off topic. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so what? What's the next story here? What do we? What do we got here? This one's just one that has a special place in my heart. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I started using two-factor on everything, and uh, YubiKey announced their YubiKey um, Bio series, which enables you to do biometric authentication. So, authentication with your fingerprint, um, at both to. And my understanding is that. You can use it like with with a browser, for instance. Some browsers have the ability to do biometric authentication on certain websites or for certain services, yeah. and then also to uh, as a lock for your one time password or one time password codes. Yeah. Uh, oh. So if I'm understanding that correctly, that's really interesting. Uh, it's just another 
it's just some more versatility if you're doing two-factor, and everyone should be doing two-factor. At this point, it's just, if you're not doing it, let me tell you, once you get in the pattern of doing it, it's not it's not that big of a burden. Yeah. Uh, it's just that initial getting in the groove of doing it. And the YubiKey manager, YubiCo manager, uh, is packaged pretty much everywhere now. It's in Flat FlatHub. It's in uh I think it's it if it's not in most repos, you can you can add it easy enough. And uh and it works well on Linux. So you just if you want your code, you plug in the um, YubiKey, you tap the button if you have it locked, um, and then you can see your one-time passwords. And then, of course, a lot of these that they have now also use NFC, so you can tap it against your phone and and mm. see your one-time passwords there. Or one-time tokens, awesome. whatever, OTP. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's... Uh, at this point, there's not a lot of reasons not to be using it. It's super easy, and it will save you the sadness of if one of your accounts that you care about are hacked. Um, and, yeah. So this will, this is a new product that allows you to do all that with the added bonus of having a form of authentication. So when someone steals your YubiKey, if, you know, if someone really is going after you, which I don't imagine most people are in that situation, but mm. at least if, if you are like, <laughs> it's, they are going to also need your fingerprint right. and some way to spoof it in order to, in order to access your information. So I think this is great. Uh, it's with all the breaches we see, and, and I guess this won't necessarily protect you against, against a breach, but depending on how, how they're storing your data, but, uh, yeah, with just what we see as far as like exposed passwords and and uh, usernames, this will save your butt from that. <laughs> and yeah, I encourage everybody to do it. Or if you're logging into, you know what I use my YubiKey for uh, is I have it my SSH key requiring the one-time passwords, so oh, you can't yeah. get to any of my servers or. Uh, or my into you know push to my GitHub repos or anything without it. That's awesome. And so, yeah, it's it's stuff like that that I guess I care more about than most of my accounts. Like I'm already using different passwords with all my accounts as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know that's a great use case for to protect your whatever you're doing, whether it's like if you're a sysadmin or a, or a developer, like having access to those repos is, uh, <laughs> could be pretty catastrophic. Uh, and this is a way to protect against that. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I've seen, and then finally, there yeah. are ways to like, Oh, go ahead. I, I've seen that there are ways that you can use, uh, YubiKeys, uh, to log into your, um, desktop environment to log into your servers. Um, uh, I, 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 they said here that you can actually log in with uh, to to a Microsoft Azure Active Directory account with with a YubiKey now, which is cool if you have to deal with that. Um, so yeah, I mean th- these things look really sick. Um, it's really cool getting into your desktop environment because now 
there's a lot of distros that are trying to support, you know, biometric login. And I would imagine that with this on the market of here soon, if it doesn't already work, there will be a way for it to recognize, oh, hey, the YubiKey's plugged in. This person can log in via their fingerprint. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to keep watching this. I, I just love these devices. They're super cheap and they're incredibly useful and, and keep you safe. And so uh, I just, I'm, I'm going to get one. Like I'm probably going to order one right after we talk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really, they're really cool. Um, and if you don't use two factor authentication, like then, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice because even if you don't have like mission critical infrastructure in your life, um, it's, it, you know, it's important to secure your devices. I mean, how, how many times have you seen like one of your friends have their accounts hacked, you know, and they, and they, you know, it, it looks bad on them even if, you know, yeah. And, and it, and it can lead to potential harm. You know, if someone, logs into your Facebook account, hacks into your Facebook account, and then starts spreading viruses, you can do actual damage to your friends and family. So it's like... Or your, Or you, I was just thinking like your Robinhood or your... Oh, yeah. You know, like Coinbase or whatever it is. Yeah. Like there's... there's uh, There are services that <laughs> you... you doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt to have this extra layer of security. Yeah. Um, Pretty much anything that I have all. invested money in, like my Steam account, you know, my Bittrex wallets, um, any of that stuff, I always like uh, enable two-factor authentication. And any time, like any accounts that I need to like um, use to like authenticate with them too, like, you know, uh, an email account or, or whatever, you want to make sure that you have two-factor authentication enabled for that. Yeah. And right. last thing I'll say on that is uh, so a lot of these services, not all of them, but a lot of them will even allow you to uh, lock an account with uh, two uh, two keys. Mm. And so if you're worried about losing it, you know, see if see if the service will let you add two keys, put one in a safe, you know, and use the other one uh, mm. for your daily. And then if you do lose it, you're. I've heard people say, like, I don't want to do it because I'm worried about, you know, losing the key or whatever, whatever. Um, there are many ways to mitigate that, backup codes and, and other things, but this is also a way. So that's not a good excuse is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Well, um, you want to you move on? Yeah, talk about I feel like we've done a couple of those... We've done a couple of these PSAs, though. Oh yeah. So what do, the, we we told you: don't use Instagram, don't use Facebook, and uh, use two-factor authentication. I'll keep I'll keep making this list. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, we we definitely. I mean, we we should change the name of the show to like you know, get preached at by Gardner and Ryan. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Sounds good. Yeah. We'll change it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, you want to talk about some home automation stuff? I do. Awesome.
this, I is, do. this is some cool stuff. Uh, so in the last episode, you and I talked about um, how we wanted to have a, a, just a, a running list of like home automation stuff. And, uh, you know, I just bought a house and uh, I'm going to be starting to do some uh, remodeling and some renovations in there. And uh, and I, I'm curious to know what devices and uh, and software are you most enthusiastic about when it comes to home automation, especially when it comes to self-hosted and private home automation. Yeah. So you bought a house and, and we've had discussions off air. I'm yeah. building a house. Oh, and so yeah, my, yeah. my, my brain has been in this cause I'm at first I was looking at, um, thermostats with, for instance, thermostats with open APIs. Uh, so I could build custom, <laughs> things around that. Uh, and then I realized like, Hey, uh, there's an actual, there are a couple, uh, open source thermostat projects that exist out there. And, uh, so now I'm trying to put together beyond, you know, the thermostat, like what else can I use to automate my house where I have root, you know, you got root on your computer, you got root on your phone, you got root uh, I don't know where else, but it's time to get root in your house, you know, yeah, yeah. get rooted. Uh, so yeah, it just seems like a no brainer. especially since it, my, my biggest thing is your home is a place where you want privacy for me, at least yep. like this is, and it's, and it's not, I don't think that I'm doing anything that I everybody says this you you have a and you should have an expectation of privacy pretty much you know anywhere you're you you shouldn't like just give it up because that's like what everybody's doing i don't know how to say this any better than what i'm saying it but yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't just give up your privacy because you feel like it's too hard to maintain it there you go but uh when you're when you're at home, I just don't want anything. I just don't like the idea of being turn of turning my house into something that spies on me on purpose. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so, so I was looking at uh, thermostats. I was looking at cameras. Uh, I you know obviously home assistants. Um, I co-founded Mycroft, so like I I've thought about that quite a lot. Uh, and of course, automating all of that, you need, you need some way to, to actually communicate with each of those devices. And so, uh, I made a list here and we can add other ones if we think about them as we're talking, but, uh, I thought I'd just go through them. So first and foremost, where I started the thermostat, uh, You've got, so the proprietary stuff is like um, Nest, um, Ecobi, which Ecobi has, uh, last time I used it, they had a pretty good uh, API. Uh, I think Nest actually has an okay API too, but, Mm. you know, it's Google. Right. Uh, And uh, there are some other ones out there that, that, uh, I, I can't remember all the brands, but, you know, this is a space where I feel like, those companies have at least done a good job of making it so that you can build around their device and build ways to speak to it. Uh, 
But ultimately, if you want root on your thermostat, you should be using something like Hestia Pi. Mm. And uh, I did some legit journalism for this. Uh, did we already talk about this once before on this podcast? Hestia Pine? No. Yeah. Okay. So I was looking at this and it's a completely ground from the ground up hardware, open source hardware and software. Well, it's using a Raspberry Pi. So, but the, but like, uh, so I guess it's not completely open hardware, but it's very close. Cause you have, you put together the, the, um, the Pi and the other components, which they have links to that you can order. Mm. And uh, and then you you would print an enclosure, uh, 3D print an enclosure. And uh, then they, they have the software that's all open source on GitHub for the actual uh, thermostat functionality. And you can use a touchscreen um, in order to, to interact with it like you would expect to interact with, with um, other smart thermostats. Mm. Uh, and it can be controlled by everything you'd expect. We're going to talk about home assistant a little bit, but that's, that's one of your options. Um, and so, uh, I was worried that Hestia was dead because I went to the website and there hadn't been an update for a while. I went to the repo and the repo had received some updates, but pretty infrequent. And, uh, so I reached out to the developer and I asked some questions and he got back to me and you know one of my questions was, Hey, is this is this thing still going? Like I haven't seen an update for a while. And uh the story was that they, they did a kick uh, Kickstarter, I think, uh crowdfunding of some kind, uh, to mass produce these devices and they secured the money and they were talking with the manufacturer and then COVID hit and then the world forgot or was no longer able to (laughs) produce chips and it became really difficult to get these little projects on the radar of, of these uh, places that were being tapped to, to, you know, make other things that were in high demand. Mm -hmm. And so he said, that's really um, screwed up their plans for shipping the device to their backers and, and also selling it on the website for people who just want it pre-built. But uh, he said that that's getting better and, and that conversations have restarted. So uh, I would expect that you might actually even be able to to buy one of these devices and get it shipped, rebuilt to your house in the nearish future. But the project is still alive and you can still build one. And, uh, you know, he's still maintaining the, the uh, software stack. So... I'm probably going to use this for my thermostat. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, it looks really cool. Uh, I, it kind of has a DIY feel for sure with, especially when you're doing the, um, you know, the, the 3d printed design, um, or the enclosure, I mean, and, um, yeah, it just, it seems pretty awesome. Like, and it can use a raspberry Pi zero. It looks like, is that right? Yep, that's and, right. And it's on a board that does the board supply power to the Pi? I think there are two maybe two versions of this and I but I think that's right. Okay. Yeah, there's a a PC and then and I think there's another version of 
if I remember right, that uses uh, one of the bigger Raspberry Pis. And so mm. uh, it depends on what, what you're doing. I have not dug that deep into it. I did see a tutorial for how to create one of these. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I remember from my my research. But um, I do know there is a build that uses a Raspberry Pi Zero. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's it looks really cool. Um, and there's the board looks pretty simple, actually. At least the one that I'm looking at here. Um, it looks like. Um, Maybe it's got like a couple relays and like a distribution block and stuff, and and then the board just kind of mounts to it. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, it looks relatively straightforward. I guess the magic, you know, is in the when you you know put it all together and um, have the software on it. There, it's it seems like they're out of stock for the U.S. version right now. Um, but that's probably because of the pandemic. But uh, yeah, this is this is a this is a cool device. I'm actually, I mean, I my house that I bought has like five different heating zones. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I definitely want to be able to control it um, from one like a central location, each zone independently. Um, so definitely going to be doing something like this, if not Hestia Pi, something like it yeah i'll have to i'll have to look at at this again because i see i see the stuff that they have listed on the the side is that zero with the like the bigger board that it attaches to but yeah um i will kind of try to update if i as if if i hear that they're back in stock um but yeah I intend to use this and and maybe I'll even try to make one while I'm before my house is built just for just for the lulls. Yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be getting into my new place. This is and stuff like this like finding like doing the research to find the the things that I'm going to use has been a lot of fun too. Um What's the uh what's the what's the next one on your list here? You got Mycroft listed here. I do. I do. Uh I I have actually spoken to uh a few folks over there here recently and uh and you know, Mycroft you can you can get Mycroft running on any Linux device. Uh it's the open source uh voice assistant and it's it's pretty mature at this point. You can create custom skills fairly easily if you if you want to really have it do complex things that are tailored for your use case. But it does have um, a home assistant skill, which if you have home assistant on your network, uh, managing all these IoT devices that you have, you you can speak to Mycroft and have it orchestrate that stuff through home assistant. Uh, you could probably honestly put them both on the same device. Uh, for instance, you could, I think the Pi 4 would probably be able to run both at, you know, reasonably. And so, you know, that could be really interesting. Uh, and it, and you just have like this brain of your, your house. 
that you can speak to. Um, and if anything more than that, absolutely. If you've got a knock or something, you want to have kind of performing this stuff. Uh, you know, you could load a number of these things we're talking about maybe onto, onto one device. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Mycroft, if you haven't tried it, tried it out before, try it out. You can load it on your Linux desktop and try it out. Like you don't have to use a Pi. You don't have to use, it just needs a a microphone and speakers. (laughs) Any device that has like your, your set. Uh, and there's plenty of documentation on how to get it up and running and then how to do the things you want with it. So you can build your own personal Jarvis. Dude. So, yeah, this is something I've, I've dreamed about, like having the Star Trek experience at home, you know, like, you know, being aboard the Enterprise and being able to be like computer, lower the lights by, you know, 12 lumens or whatever, the whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of like having a smart home set up where there's a, you know, there's there's. um you have the ability to do that, right? Like, and it's all done locally on, you know, your home network. It, nothing leaves your house. Like no recordings of your voices are being saved and sent to the cloud, uh, for, for, for God knows what kind of research purposes. Um, yeah. Yeah. We want to hear something interesting too. Uh, so, so Mycroft by default, uh, so there, there are a few different voice backend options. I think if you installed it today, it would tell you how to set up like a couple of them. One of them is Google, of course, because it's mm-hmm. it's one of the most accurate speech to text. Because ultimately how this works, um, I think I said it earlier, but I co-founded this project and, and wrote the first version. So I know I know it pretty intimately. Yeah. Um, what but, you know, you when you look at. Uh, how it works, it needs to take what you say, convert it to text, and then run that through an intent parser to figure out what it is that you want to do. Yeah, And that's where skills are made, because you tell a skill like, essentially this is what this, what we want Mycroft to do, and these are the words or phrases we're looking for in, in order to key into that. And uh, and so when you pull down Mycroft, though, what's interesting is that there are actually uh, models you can get now, uh, speech-to-text models that can run on device and do it with a relatively high accuracy, uh, depending, of course, on what language you're speaking. If you're speaking English, it should be... It's in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could... You know, there's documentation out there. Pull down one of these speech-to-text um, libraries, and with the with the models, there's one called Coqui, which I believe has an open source model, and it's a source uh, speech-to-text uh, software that you can that you can use. So you can have that running on the device. You can have Mycroft running on. Everything's going to be, and that's really interesting because one uh, latency should be fairly. So assuming the device can handle, mm-hmm. like from a hardware perspective, and two, it's not going anywhere. Just, yeah. just everything is just on that device until you start 
going out to the internet to ask for whatever the skills to do if if it if it has that component to it yeah and so you can truly build a local home voice assistant today uh with open source software that's you know of good quality of course none of these things have the resources Google has and, and their accuracy is varying. Your mileage may vary, but yeah. uh, it's it's quite it's in pretty good shape, I think these days. Didn't didn't I read something about how you guys uh, Minecraft partnered with um, Mozilla? Is that correct? Like, didn't Mozilla have like a open they did database that so that 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 uh, Mozilla. Um, Endeavor became Kokui, which oh, okay. was that, uh, yeah. So when they, when they, when Mozilla narrowed its focus, uh, they spun out, they didn't spin out. I think what they did, I don't know exactly how it works from an organizational point of view, but that team, uh, is now running this, this startup, Kokui. Okay. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So you can so basically you can download this data uh this data set, is that right? Like an open source um Yeah, it's a I would call it a model. A model. Um, yeah. I don't know what terminology they're using, but it's a trained model. So hmm. it's a they've done the machine learning and then they have this model that that has that understands the speech and converts it to text. No, and then it, you can run that with their software. No, do you do you have like uh uh, do do you have to use like um, uh, a, you know, GPU to do like actual no or anything? No. So at this point, like that has already been done, and that's what produced oh, the model. I see. Yeah. Cool. And so the my understanding is when I talk to somebody from over there, I don't know, is, is this model probably can run on a Pi, a, a modern Pi. Yeah. So. You know that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. It is. That was not the case not so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember like the first time I talked to you. Like, um, I, I think Minecraft was maybe around for like a year, year and a half, or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I, and I was curious like how the actual like speech to text worked. And you were like, oh yeah, it's using. I think it was, was it using Google at the time. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, I see. So I was under the impression that it was like done locally, but now it, but you were like, well, it's not there yet. Like that, that's where we want to get, but we're not there yet. But now we're there. Yeah. Like it's possible to do that. And uh, that is yeah. just so cool to me. Like that, uh, it gives me tinglys. It gives me goosebumps. Yeah. And now you have, if you, if you look at some of the, technology that's powering these modern voice assistants too there's quite a lot of that work being done locally even on now granted mm-hmm. some of it might be being done locally on device for some of these other guys mm-hmm. uh, but of course that data ultimately does get because they're still curious about what you're saying to the to the uh assistant but it's matured yeah. a lot to the point where it can be done locally and that's why you see specialized chips to handle that like some of these neural chips and stuff yeah um, so yeah 
it's a, uh, but it's a good time to be doing this with open source software because it's, it's at a point where it's actually can be useful and be done in a privacy respecting way. Yep. And, uh, and Mycroft can actually tie into the next item on our list. Is that right? Home assistant. Yep. Home assistant. Every time I come back to this project, it looks even better. And now it's, yeah, it's got like a phone app that looks really good. It's got, uh, it's of course, you know, you, you can install it on a computer on your network that, that acts as the hub kind of to use like the, the IOT speak. So you have this hub that's communicating with all these different internet of things, devices on your network. And my understanding is you can get a, um, Z wave or, uh, I, you know, Zigbee. I don't remember the other stand Zigbee and you, you adapter to plug into like, let's say a Raspberry Pi or a, mm. or, you know, if you install it on some other device and, uh, and yeah, then it, it'll speak to, uh, on those, um, those protocols with the devices in your home. Uh, so this is just a great project. And yeah. it's still active, and it's still going strong, and it's still looking good. And so uh, I think kind of this is probably the premier, you know, home automation, open source home automation uh, software currently. I don't is know. There... Do you know of any others? No, I don't. I this I, like as f- I've done a little bit of research into this, and it's like I'm pretty sure that Home Assistant is like the best that you can get period like i don't think that there even is there even like a proprietary version of this so i think smart things would be oh, like the gross. the proprietary one yeah yeah and i'm not sure what else exists i know apple has i don't think no that they have a hub right but they have a they they do have the i don't remember what the software is called but they have software uh, they have an app yeah. What is it called? It's I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I'm not plugged in enough to the to Appleverse to. But to I mean, know. but the thing is, like, if you're doing smart things, I, can smart things like talk to other devices like that aren't part of smart things? Yes. Like, okay, it has. Okay. I, yeah, the hub has like Z. I think it supports Z-Wave. I don't know if it supports Zigbee. Or it's the other way around, but it yeah. and anything that operates on that protocol, right? It can add, I, I believe. Yeah, it's just like Home Assistant, though. It seems like it's the premier like option, like no matter like yeah. if you're proprietary or not. Like it seems like it's the best, most compatible because that's the nature of open source, right? Yep, and that's what you want. Absolutely. That's you. You don't want to be. You want a neutral party in your home because yeah. otherwise you're going to be locked into it. And uh, it, although Smart Things has managed to maintain pretty neutral, I guess it's because they even they realize, even as a proprietary option, they realize like, hey, if uh, if the customer goes to Home Depot and and buys, you know, whatever, their expectation is they're going to be able to use it and they're not going to be looking out for this for necessarily for the smart things compatible thing. Yeah. And so I don't know. It's, it's uh it's not ter- as far as I know, <laughs> this is not a, in terrible shape 
right now on the proprietary side. But when you have something as good as Home Assistant, there really isn't a good case for, you know, going and using something proprietary in my in my opinion. Right. And and the, there's so many. It's like so compatible. Like you have options for Raspberry Pi for Odroid. Um, you know, you have like x86 builds. You have uh, Windows, Mac, Linux. Um, there's and and even the 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 Linux version like comes in multiple like formats. Like you can actually download virtual machines that have been already set up for you. Um, yep. Which is just sweet. <laughs> It's got so many cool features, though. People should just look, go look at the website. It's um, home-assistant.io. And uh, you can even see it's got uh, this this concept of, like, if people enter the house and their devices are on the the network, uh, there may be another way they're doing it, too, but show that so-and-so is home, uh, Mm. which is, like, you know, that's... If you've got a family... (laughs) Yeah, and you want to see if if one of the kids made it home or whatever that, at a glance, like that's that's a uh, that's a useful feature. I'm sure there's a, many other reasons, but uh, yeah, it's just it's very feature rich, um, and so I encourage people to go check it out and, and see all the the functionality this project has. It's really great. Yeah, really, really good. And you know, if you if you go on their website, if you click on the integrations page, it comes up with. I mean. It, Basically, any smart home thing that you could want is available here, it seems like. Um, HomeKit, that's the one you were trying to think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, this is this is like super cool. And, um, oh, wow, I didn't realize they had like FFmpeg stuff, like just home automation for FFmpeg. Like, what is this even about? I just, sorry. I <laughs> um okay that's actually super cool dude yeah uh so it can just do pretty much anything that you could ever want and i yeah it's even got like home energy management yeah track like the energy usage and everything it's crazy it's just like if people don't believe us at this point seriously go check out the the website there's a ton of things you can do with this yep uh i'm this is this is like the the first step for me in my home automation journey like the i'm getting my wrapping my head around home assistant and how to integrate tool like the you know the various devices that i will have um one thing that i'm really curious about is like having all of the smart devices that connect to my network on their own subnet with no clear path from that subnet to the to the uh, internet, um, that's what I'd, I'd like to do. And then have my home assistant box have two network interfaces: one of them that connects to the subnet with the smart devices, and one of them that connects to the internet. So the only way in and out of the smart uh, subnet is through the home assistant box. What do you think about that? Yeah. So my deal is I think like the better than that even is if you're if you're actually using the standard and and, and you can like Z-Wave or Zigbee, 
like most of these devices shouldn't even necessarily have to to be on the network. Um, True. You add them and they do the little handshake type deal, and then they're they're speaking to you know home assistant directly, and then that's mm. the device you you want to control. Not everything, you know. You are going to have some of these devices that require a, a, you know connection to via like Ethernet or to the Wi-Fi, but um, you know when when I'm looking at stuff, I'm going to be looking at at things that that connect over this you know, open standard and that I don't have to worry about pulling down random crap from the internet. That's true. I didn't, uh, that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> yeah. Of course, this next thing that we're going to talk about is relevant to that, which yeah. is the Pine 64 cube, which is a camera, which will ha- be an IP <laughs> can, you know, will have an IP. It will be, uh, on the network. And that's something those cameras that, uh, that first off, just for your what it, what website is that? There's a website where it shows like just all these camera feeds that uh, that it's able to that it just reached out to IPs and like it's got a feed now. Um, um, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, but I am not surprised that that exists. <laughs> yeah, so there's this there's this website I don't remember. Sure, it doesn't take much googling to find it, but. It's just like all these IP connected cam IP. What do they call them? It doesn't matter. But just like these cameras that are on the internet, that it just collects. <laughs> that you can just look at all these different places in the world. Sometimes it's like super benign, like it's just a camera pointing at its parking lot, and sometimes it's a camera in someone's house. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, you don't want to be that guy. So, <laughs> so make sure your cameras are. Uh, accessible oh, to just anyone on the web. I wish that I hadn't Googled this. It's uh, <laughs> it's insectcam.com, I-N-S-E-Cam. And uh, you can just go here and find just random publicly accessible... <laughs> what, dude? Why? This is awful. What did you say it was? In... Uh, I N S C A M dot com, like insecure cam. Ah, yes. And it's literally yeah. just like I, I'm looking at a feed of some, like a restaurant in Hattiesburg, Maryland right now. And uh, like what looks like a torture chamber in Japan. Like, I, I don't <laughs> know what is going on. Yeah. Yep, this is definitely exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, so we we want to we want you to avoid this. Uh, you don't want to be you know putting your uh, Japanese dungeon, dude. Like literally, isn't that what that looks like? It's I don't like know. Like it looks box. like a the like a yeah. It does look like a box. box. <laughs> yeah, it looks like what. She was buried in, in Kill Bill, but they just yeah. like put a camera in there. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna have nightmares with that box. <laughs> just yeah, don't be that. Don't be that box. Uh, make sure that your your IP connected cams are are on a network that is only accessible to you and behind some kind of authentication or something. Yeah. But anyway. The Pine Cube 
it will let you do that probably because it's just an IP. It's just a uh, camera that you can connect to your network, and uh, and so you can do whatever it is that you want. I think the main use case is for uh, making sure that you have eyes on your your home and your property, uh, and which is very cool and very good, you know, um, for security purposes, but. Uh, yeah. Make sure it's <laughs> make sure it's protect protected. Um, you know, I don't know what this the open source software you'd use around this is anymore. I remember I set a camera system up way back in like 2012 mm. or 11, and there was at that time an open source. Uh, I don't even remember what it's called. It was I would call it camera management software, I guess. It was like you could add all your IP cameras and and how to authenticate to it, and then it would just put all those in that what you would imagine a security, you know, thing would look like, where it's got all the different cameras and their feeds, and then you click on one and you can look at it, and you could set up like mm. hot zones, kind of like if you see activity here, like you know, send an email or or some kind of notification, and and, and like flash this on the dashboard mm-hmm. and uh so what was that called i don't i don't, I don't I've remember i've been looking for something like that though hmm. i'll have to think about it but uh yeah there's i if if that was the state of things back then i assume it's better now um so and that was pretty decent so uh and i'm sure that there's i'm sure that here on the Pine 64 website for the, I don't know how how clear we've made it. It's Pine 64. It's a Pine 64 product, pine64.org. It's called the Pine Cube. And uh, it's an open source IP camera. Um, And it's, uh, it's kind of like this DIY simple camera that you can just do whatever you want with. Um, mm. um, was it zone minder? Yes. Yeah. Zone minder. Yes. That's it. Cool. Yeah. yeah so you could Google it <laughs> and you could install this and then set up zone minder. And, uh, then you're, you've got a security system. Dude. Sweet. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be installing uh, seven cameras at my new my my new house, like, because um, there's there's some um, potential for it's it, the town that I'm I just bought the house in is like a college town, so there's like parties that happen sometimes in the street, and I just want to make sure that my house is secure from drunk college students or if someone breaks in and steals something i got their face on camera you know yeah exactly yeah well we're you know we're building a house in a in a tourism heavy town and so you know there's all there's always people you don't know around which is fine that's great that's part of the magic of the town but then you're you (laughs) You know, if if somebody is walking around who has some like designs on 
on doing something bad, you're not necessarily on the lookout because, you know, you see new people all the time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think just just having the ability to monitor the house when you're not there, it really anywhere in the world at this point, it's relatively cheap. The only thing I think that both of us care about and probably members of our audience is you don't want to give up your privacy and you don't want that just streaming to to Google or Amazon. And yeah. uh, so this is a this is a relatively cheap way to do that with the Pine Cube. Let's see here. It's uh, I remember looking at the price the other day. It's not horribly expensive. Let's see. Wasn't it? thirty bucks? Yeah. Um. Yeah, thirty bucks for the for the camera itself. Nice. It can be powered via PoE. And uh, and then, you know, ZoneMinder is free and open source. So there you go. A few of these, ZoneMinder, and you've got a security system for relatively cheap. Heck, yeah. Cool, man. So is that is that, uh, is that everything on your list? Yeah, I think that's probably where we'll, where we'll shut it down today. I think, you know, we we could talk briefly about home theater systems but i think we're gonna maybe do that next time since we're since we're uh, yeah <laughs> since we had a pretty good conversation um but so we'll just t- for next time guys um we'll we'll talk a little bit about open source home theater software and media center software yeah uh i'm pretty excited about that um yeah thanks for sharing those with me ryan um I, some of them i had heard of some of them i hadn't and uh I, I think that, you know, between the two of us, you know, you're building a house. I'm, I just bought one. I think we're going to be able to figure out some pretty nifty home security, home automation stuff going forward. Um, yeah. 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 You'll be able to probably make some videos out of it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, man, I wish you lived closer because, like, it'd be cool to have you over and we could, you know, do those videos together. But, um but yeah, so I, yeah. I, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Um, a good one, a decent one. And I, I hope you guys liked it. Uh, we, you know, have fun doing this uh, every Wednesday. So uh, if if you like what we're doing here, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, head over to the Clips channel on YouTube um, where we, mm-hmm. you know, we upload at least one clip from every episode. Um, and uh Yeah. That's it. Thank yeah. you for watching. And if you if you uh like it and if you like how long we went this time or what we discussed, let us know. Yeah. Or you know, last time we went pretty brief. And if you prefer that, you know, please email us and let us know. We'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts. I'm uh I'm at uh Gardner underscore Bryant on YouTube. I mean on um Twitter. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're Gardner Bryant on YouTube, so you know sure. you got that across. I do. And then, uh, and then I'm at Ryan Lee Sipes on Twitter, so you can hit me up there if you want to talk in the in the big bluebird. <laughs> hey, it didn't go down over the over the last couple of days, so that's good. No, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I think that's gonna do it for this episode. What do you think, Ryan? Yep. See you next time. Yeah, have a good one, guys.